is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, March 30th, 2023. Uh, as the Bastards of Boston Baseball wrote on Twitter this morning, today really will be better than yesterday because today is opening day. Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwenk are back in Bristol. Um, in Houston, we'll, where we'll have the defending champion Astros playing host to the White Sox tonight at broadcast 7 o'clock Eastern time, 6 o'clock local. Roger Clemens will join us in the booth along with Eduardo Perez and Carl Ravage. Guys, what games will you be watching today? Astros and Natty Bays, Juan, Orioles, Red Sox, 210. We'll be locked in. We'll be The podcast will be long done. I'll probably be sitting at my cube, uh, watch the first half of the game here in the office, zip home, throw it on the big screen in the basement. Very excited. Sarah? As a lifelong Phillies fan, I will be watching the Phillies Rangers at 405. Yes. Watching my guy, Trey Turner. I am so excited. <laughs> yeah, my son is going to be locked into the Braves opener against the Nationals talking, uh, you know, and I'm sure that he probably is going to have a split screen during a college class today. I'm trying to discourage him from doing that. But you know what? His uh, his professor probably would understand you know, given the fact that it's opening day. I think we're all kind of curious about Anthony Volpe. Like in his first game with the Yankees in the big leagues, you know, is he going to do like Derek Jeter did at the beginning of the 1996 season to hit a home run? Uh, it, it's going to be a fun day, and I'm so excited that it's here. All right, two big developments, news developments for minor league players. Uh, the minor league players uh, union and Major League Baseball struck a tentative deal Wednesday on the first collective bargaining agreement uh, between the two sides that will more than double player pay. This uh, according to sources, the deal, which will last for five years, comes after a rapid and successful effort last year by minor leaguers to unionize. And as that was settled, this also was settled. A judge okay, $185 million settlement in the minor leaguers lawsuit against Major League Baseball. Minor leaguers, in the time frame that they're talking about, and they negotiated uh, this lump sum over those guys are going to be getting about $5,000 to $5,500 a piece, uh, you know, given a split among the thousands of minor leaguers playing during that time. Top Angels prospect Logan O'Hop is going to get an opening day start with the Angels because the Angels starting catchers have uh, gone down with injuries. Max Stassi, who was the probable starter heading into spring training, was placed on the injured list on Wednesday. The Athletics have traded outfielder Christian Pache to the Phillies in exchange for minor league right-hander Billy Sullivan. Pache takes the place of Reese Hoskins, who, of course, is going to miss this season after blowing out his knee last week. And we send best wishes to Padres coach Matt Williams, who was diagnosed with colon cancer. He's going to be at his position at third base today, and then he's going to have a leave of absence. Mike Schilt taking over as third base coach as he goes through treatment. Happy opening day, Taylor. What else you got? Buster, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse, a quality podcast. You can listen to it where you're listening to this podcast right now, as well as on YouTube, the MVP race heating up. It's very controversial right now, Buster. It's kind of a log jam at the top. I saw Tim Bontemps tweeting out this morning, a straw poll with Joel Embiid at the top of it. Obviously, he kind of uh, shirked away from his duel with Nikola Jokic the other night. Check them out, the Hoop Collective, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, but it's opening day too, right? I mean, we're talking about baseball. Of course, we got of Paul Embikides coming up. We got Eduardo Perez coming up, and I'm going to completely ambush Paul Embikides today after what he did to me on television. Oh, it's going to be good, guys! You can now stream the most MLB games on Direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. 
The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Eduardo Perez is an analyst for ESPN. He's part of our Sunday night crew. And on this Thursday, he's part of the Thursday night crew. He's down here with me in Houston. Uh, we got the White Sox. We've got the Astros. Uh, and, and Eduardo, we're kind of on the clock as we talk. So I'm just going to zip through the question. Doesn't it feel like tonight that it's like the – I know we have the start of the baseball season every uh, March and April, but it feels like tonight it's like a whole new thing because it's like the unveiling of a new phone or something like that. <laughs> it is. It's the first time, first time I do a Zoom on this phone. So I had to activate the camera. That took a while. But you know what? We're on. You can see me. I can see you. And they can listen to us. So I'm all in. All right. But and a new product, new rules. Uh, I'm fascinated by the question of, you know, what have all these managers been holding back in spring training about game planning, the, you know, the, the three pickoff rule, uh, that sort of thing. What, how will different pitchers weaponize the, the pitch clock? Uh, I was in Mets camp one day and, and Buck Showalter kept all the reporters out of off a of field because he said that they had proprietary information. So I'm really curious about the impact of all these changes. What about you? Um, I, I'm really curious about the changes as well. We already saw some of the adjustments that teams were making during spring training. We saw more stolen bases. Uh, we've seen what pitchers are going to try to do, maybe the quick pitch, maybe not. Uh, the, uh, the players, if they're paying attention in the first eight seconds, I'm really curious to see how this turns out now that the lights are going to be on. Yeah, uh, one step, thing, oh, go ahead. Yeah, one thing was in spring training. Another thing is going to be this time, this moment when it all counts. Okay, here's some numbers. There are 792 stolen bases across Major League Baseball this spring, 492 more than last year. So <laughs> a massive change there. And, of course, you know, the games were reduced by 25 or 30 minutes. So – it's going to be fun and, and uh, you know, see how the managers, the players use the new rules. You got to have uh, dinner last night with Roger Clemens. And I think the big question I have going into this broadcast tonight, are you going to refer to him as the rocket or are you going to call him Roger? I might call him and ready for this inside scoop. Oh no. Woody Williams, let us know this because the, because Roger Clemens called Woody Williams yesterday and he said, the real rocket is Woody Williams. I'm actually the missile. So I might even drop in a missile reference during the game. Nice. How was dinner? What did you guys talk about? Uh, we talked about a lot of things. He was really curious about the, the rule changes. He was really curious how pitchers are going to be able to take advantage of it, how hitters might take advantage of it as well. But 
at the end of the day, you still have to execute. And it comes down, and it was really interesting. He said it, it'll have to come down to leg strength because it's a little bit more rapid. You don't have time to regroup. Uh, and listening to Roger Clemens talk about pitching, I would have paid a lot of money to be in that room where we were yesterday as Carl and I looked at each other and said, this could be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, you got a scouting report on Roger as a broadcaster, which he's never uh, done before. I know. I know. Uh, you know what, though? I think every scouting report, just like teams, have changed, right, because of the rules, the rule changes. So we're all starting from scratch. I think it's going to be even as challenging not only for us, but for you as well. It's like jumping rope, skipping rope. It just got quicker. The next round got quicker. How are we going to get in, and how are we going to land the plane? All right, so I'm going to go rapid fire with you through some predictions for this year. Number of home okay. runs for Shohei Otani this season? 43. How, how could you possibly be so definitive on that, and I didn't even give you a heads up on it? There's not <laughs> even any music. Well, maybe he'd do this. You're like 43. What is that? 43. I just figured, you know, he had a lot in 20 in 21. He went under that number in 22. So I figured let's go in between. 43 is my daughter's favorite number, so I went 43. Where does Otani finish in the Cy Young Award voting in the American League? Third. Okay, that's fair. Home runs for Aaron Judge this year, who at 62 last year set the American League record. 53. Yeah, Jessica Mendoza was on Get Up this morning. She said 50. That's way low. I've got 60. I think he challenges his own record. Why did you settle on 53? Because everything that I finished so far today and the two other guesses have finished in threes. I said Otani would finish third, and he'd hit 43, so I figured I'd go 53. I could have said 63, right? But I went 53. You know, I thought there was some deep analysis behind that, but no, it's, it's all about lucky numbers along those lines. Mike Trout, how many home runs this year? And if you say 43 or 53, we got a problem. No, no, I'm not. I'm going to say, for him, I'm going to say 47. Okay. I was wondering 40 if you last year. really aggressive and go 63. Wow. No, I'm not, do I'm not doing that. I still have to have a little credibility with it. I think he had, because he had 40 last year, limited amount of time, I think the good thing is he should go, he, he could hit 47. All right. Uh, do the Angels make the playoffs with the number one and number two best players in the world? I hope so. And because I'm an optimist, I'm going to say yes. Just because their bullpen was a lot better than what a lot of people thought last year. And they're going to build on that with those four lefties they have in the starting rotation. Do the Astros become the first team since the 98 to 2000 Yankees, the team that Roger was on, to go back to back? No. I don't, I, I don't think so. I think the competition is really uh, – it's a really good competition. I think within their division, they got better. Seattle got better. Texas got better. With the balanced schedule, I think teams are going to get better. And not only that, they're going to play uh, – because they're playing better competition, it's going to be harder in the postseason to predict who's going to win the World Series. All right. As you and I talk, you're driving back from doing an interview with your childhood friend, Pedro Grafal, okay? Uh, he's managing his first game for the White Sox tonight. In watching him around the field yesterday and hearing him speak with the media, it feels like a job that he was made for, right? Um, tell me how many wins the White Sox have this year. I'm going to put you on the spot. 89. 89 wins could be good enough to win that division. 
Tell me about your friend and how he's handling this moment because he seemed absolutely at ease yesterday. Uh, it's emotional today. It really is. We just dropped him off at the ballpark, um, and it's 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 as he said it, the road less traveled he took to get to where he is at now. And at the age of fifty three, uh, Pedro Grafol is is um is where he needs and where he should be, and that's managing a major league ball club. He's done everything. He's checked every box. Um, this is a well-deserved, well, um, a well-thought-out picked by the Chicago White Sox, and I think he's the right man for the right spot in uh, with the ball club that they have. With a chance to win right away with Dylan Cease pitching tonight, so There's not, I, yeah. I, I'm really, I'm really curious about that. Uh, a couple more for you. Wanted to ask you this: PitchList.com has named a new pitch because we're talking about all this conversation about uh, pitch shaping. And so we know in the past we, we've we heard about the slider, the curveball, the slurve, the cutter. They're calling a new pitch uh, the sweeper, the Ooh. sweeper. And they, you know, they detailed that that's what Otani threw to Trout at the end of the WBC. Are you buying or are you like a lot of old school hitters who – we're saying, wait a second, this launch angle thing, we've been talking about that a long time. Are you buying in the sweeper as a new pitch? I, I could see it. I could see it. Look, I didn't, I'm glad you clarified it for me because I thought the sweeper could have been Prout's swing as it swept through <laughs> the zone with no contact. Uh, but look, we have so much data right now. And we see so much vertical drop. We see so much uh, horizontal movement. And if something does not relate to either a curveball or slider, uh, the sweeper could be the pitch with the high velo that these pitchers are throwing in today's game. All right, I'm going to leave it to you then to be the one who describes on the air in between pitches. you got 15 seconds to describe the difference between the sweeper, slider, slurve, curveball, and cutter. Good luck to you, Eduardo. Uh, and before you go, you played in the minor leagues. Two big pieces of news yesterday – Minor league, uh, the minor league players, Major League Baseball has reached a tentative deal on their first collective bargaining agreement. Salaries for AAA players going from seventeen five per year to thirty five eight. Double A players thirteen eight to thirty thousand two fifty. Uh, on and on. Minor leaguers a big jump. How'd you feel when you heard this news? Um, well deserved. I think yes. this is long time coming. Long time coming. This is, uh, if you think about how hard this job is to sustain and be able to get to the major leagues, this is going to provide now added income for those players to be able to focus on what they are going to be trying to get to, and that's the major leagues. And now you'll have more resources to be able to work at your craft in the offseason. They're going to continue to get paid all the way through the end of November. I think it is a, a well-thought-out um Thing, not only by the Players Association, but by Major League Baseball and the teams. I applaud them. Uh, and, and now we're going to have better uh, nutrition, better sustainability from the players, and better quality coming up to the Major League uh, for the Major League brand. All right. I completely agree with you. Uh, get out of here. I'll see you at the ballpark in a little while. <laughs> you got it, Buster. Take care. Safe travels across the street. <laughs> <laughs>
Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers have made the playoffs in four of the last six seasons, and they haven't had a losing record in a full season since 2016. But last season was tumultuous. With Milwaukee in first place in midseason, the Brewers traded closer Josh Hader, a very unpopular move among the other players. The Brewers played under 500 the rest of the season and closed with an 86-76 and 76 record, just missing the playoffs. David Stern stepped down as head of baseball operations and was replaced by Matt Arnold. Newcomers Milwaukee traded for William Contreras, a good-hitting catcher who the Brewers believe can improve on defense. And Milwaukee's had a lot of success in helping catchers become better framers. The Brewers signed Wade Miley for rotation depth and former Marlin Brian Anderson for lineup help. The X Factor. The Brewers operate in a small market with a modest payroll, and so their front office is constantly trying to balance the effort to contend with managing asset value which is why they traded Hayter right in the middle of the pennant race last year. This season, the Brewers may face similar decisions with Corbin Burns, who has a 2.62 ERA over the last three seasons, and shortstop Willie Adamas. Both will be eligible for free agency after the 2024 season, and if the Brewers want to get maximum value for either player, the peak time to deal them might be in July of 2023. The Brewers demonstrated with the Hayter deal, they will be aggressive. Lines. The Brewers will have strong pitching, presumably, with Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, and Devin Williams leading their pitching staff. The offseason roster turnover might have the greatest impact on the run production and defense. Hunter Renfro and Colton Wong were dealt away during the winter, and the Brewers will need Contreras and Anderson to pitch in with the offense right away. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Pakota's forecast is for the Brewers to win 87.2 games. Hembo says 84. I think Hembo's right. I've got 84 with some midseason sell-offs. Burns and Adamas might be two of the most coveted players at the deadline. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Paul Ambikidi is a researcher at ESPN, a content guru for GetUp, the voice in Mike Greenberg's ear, the co-author of the new book, Got Your Number. And on this show, Hembo, we always have to call you the forgotten one. How are you? I am, I am so great. I am, the, I am the unsung, right? I'm the unmarked grave on the Baseball Tonight podcast, but I, am, uh, I relish in my role and responsibility on the show. And even so, I keep coming back every single week for more. All right. Well, and that's your title from now on. You're the forgotten one. We're not going to worry about job <laughs> titles or anything like that. And I tell you right now, you and I are about an hour and a half away from a radio appearance, and I am going to completely obliterate uh, Mike Greenberg in Uh-oh. this in this uh, in this uh, exchange that we're going to have coming up. I'm just going to give you a preview ahead of time. Okay. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, just just so you know, he has a really really good and expensive lawyer. Whatever you say. <laughs> For me right now, that I'm like, you know, that, that it uh, it sets off some PSD, that's for sure, or PTSD. All right, uh, let's go through three numbers of playing uh, that you are playing before the opening day bell. Yes, I'm going to start with the Dodgers. I'm going to play the over 94 and a half wins, Buster. It is my belief that reports of their demise have been greatly exaggerated. Might they miss Trey Turner? Of course. As the, the Padres made up considerable ground in the division with a full year of Juan Soto and Xander Bogarts, of course, for sure. Well, let's keep in mind, the baseline here last year was 111 wins with a run differential of a 115-win team. They were even better than their record. And over the last three years, their ERA plus 
150, 140, and 146. Buster, those are the three best individual team seasons of the last 100 years. <laughs> All three in a row. They have figured out their pitching. They have got it down to a science. My second, my, and this one's going to be a player prop. I've got Jordan Alvarez at 9-1, to one, the lead to major leagues in RBI. I nerded out here a little bit, much to your surprise, I'm sure. I looked at every active player. I took their career RBI totals, and I calculated their 162-game averages. Number three on that list is Fernando Tatis. Number two is Pete Alonso. And number one at 124 RBI for 162 games is Jordan Alvarez. That's a sack lineup. There aren't really any good lefties in that division to contend with. I think he's going to have a huge season. And number three, Max Fried at 16-1 to to lead the major leagues in wins. And here's why. This is a great value. Last season, he ranked eighth in baseball in innings per start. He ranked seventh in ERA, and he ranked 37th in run support. That's why he only had 14 wins. I think conservatively, we can say Atlanta has a top five lineup. He's in the prime of his career at the age of 29. Even if he duplicates that season, Buster only, I've got him at 20 wins. What say you? Yeah, I say you're betting Jordan Alvarez. You are out of your mind. You Mm. know better than I do because you played at a higher level than I did. When you're talking about a a major league hitter having hand-wrist issue in spring training, keeping him out, there's no way that he's someone who's going to have a seamless season with an injury. This is going to be something that's going to bother him all year. I'm not saying he's not going to be in the MVP conversation, but 124 RBI, he's not going to be in the lineup enough. Let me ask you, like, if I were to take a prop bet, uh, the one that I have my eye on is the most number of hits in the big leagues, Bo Bichette, who hit 386 in the last 37 games last year, 58 hits in the last 37 games. To me, he's someone who looks like he's gone from being a really great player to going next level. What do you think? I would not be surprised at all to see it. He should see plenty of pitches to hit. We know he's aggressive, so long as he doesn't overexpand his zone, the, uh, the contact quality is high. It's something like uh, 360 hits over the last two years. He's got that bat-to-ball skill, the excellent hand-eye coordination. That would not surprise me at all, Buster, and that's one of the big reasons why I have the Toronto Blue Jays winning the American League, the emergence of Bo Bichette, and another bounce-back year from Vlad Jr. That's what I got. Yeah, I tried that last year. That didn't work. Give me three player milestones to watch. Let's start with Miguel Cabrera. He enters the year with 3,088 hits. That's 24th all-time. Let's live in a world, though, in which he can just get to 100 more. 100 more hits would pass Ichiro, Winfield, A-Rod, Gwynn, Yount, Wainer, Rhett, Beltre, Ripken, Buster. With 100 more hits, Miguel Cabrera can get to 15th on the all-time hits list. I don't think his team is going to be any good. Let's stop and smell the roses for that guy. The number two one on my list here is Zach Granke, 2,882 strikeouts. That's 20th all-time, 118 to 3,000. That is a magic number. There are only two pitchers with 3,000 strikeouts eligible for the Hall of Fame that are not in it. And you know as well as I do, they're Roger Clemens and they're Kurt Schilling, and they're plenty good enough to be in if not for all the other stuff. That's going to be an automatic number if Zach Granke can get there. And number three for me is Jose Altuve. We know he's hurt. He should be back in a reasonable amount of time, and he's going to play the season at the age of 33. 33. He's 65 hits away from 2,000. He's 14 runs from 1,000 and eight homers from 200. 2,000, 1,200. Again, at the age of 33, there are only 10 second basemen to ever do all three of those things, and he's going to get there with a lot of time to spare. I would posit, you might find this to be a controversial take, but I would posit that Jose Altuve, is the best player to primarily play that position 
since Joe Morgan, who retired in 1984, Buster only. Is that a hot take, or do you think there's something to that? That's a hot take, because obviously you forgot about Roberto Alomar, like, who was who completely changed that position defensively. So I, I disagree with you on there. I also disagree with you about Miguel Cabrera, who last year you saw his slugging percentage drop down just above 300. Uh, I think his season is going to be more like Yadi Molina's than Albert Pujols this mm-hmm. last season. It, it feels like he's kind of limping toward the finish. Uh, and I wonder if the Tigers, who are under some pressure to show some progress this year, might wind up using the playing time for uh, guys who have a better chance to produce. All right. Uh, the three most loaded jersey numbers in baseball history. What do you got? Yeah, so this is a bit of a book promotion here, if you don't mind me shamelessly plugging my product. So plug away. As you might imagine, I scoured the globe to ensure that I did not forget anyone that could possibly qualify for such a thing. The chapters are 1 through 100. Greeny and I decided who owns every number in sports. 56 of the 100 chapters are assigned jersey numbers. There are three numbers in the game of baseball that I think stand out above the rest. So what I'm going to do, Buster, is rifle off a list of players that wore each of these three numbers, and you, my friend, are going to decide the most loaded jersey number in baseball history. I have come, uh, I have come up with these three finalists. Number five, Joe DiMaggio, Brooks Robinson, George Brett, Albert Pujols, Johnny Bench, and Hank Greenberg, all mm. wore number five. That's a good loaded list. Number eight, as you well know, Hal Ripken Jr., Yogi Berra, Joe Morgan, Carl Yastrzemski, Willie Stargell, Gary Carter, and Bill Dickey. Number eight, stack. And then lastly, perhaps my favorite, number 24, Willie Mays, Miguel Cabrera, Ricky Henderson, Manny Ramirez, and Ken Griffey Jr. Obviously, plenty of names that, I th- that, that, that you could still throw out. That's a lot of names to rifle off at you in a very small amount of time. But top of your head, what is the best jersey number in baseball history? There's no doubt it's number 24. Like... You know, the other numbers, they they certainly have some stature. Uh, you know, number five, you know, having a Johnny Bench there, greatest catcher of all time, that's a big deal. But number 24 to me. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, any anything with you, Willie Mays, you got my attention. Willie and then Mays, you have and then, the greatest leadoff hitter of all time in Ricky Henderson. Wow. And, and, and Griffey. I mean, Griffey here is going to play left field <laughs> with Willie Mays, right? So, to me, number 24 is – the best number in baseball history. And as you might expect, Willie Mays occupying chapter 24 in our upcoming book. I love that. That's awesome. And as I said, I can't wait to see you talk to you later today because I'm just going to obliterate your partner. All right. I'm going to put on all of my armor and let you two have at it. Later, boys. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. The NFL schedule drops this week. 
and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Kansas City Royals. Last year was a disaster for the Kansas City Royals, with the team regressing from 74 wins in 2021 to 65 wins. And this led to the firing of longtime executive Dayton Moore, the head of baseball operations, as well as manager Mike Matheny. Under new head of baseball operations, J.J. Piccolo, the Royals completely revamped their pitching oversight. Brian Sweeney was hired away from Cleveland to be the new pitching coach for the Royals. Newcomers. The Royals signed Zach Granke, perhaps to close his career where he started. They also signed Jordan Lyles, who was a reliable plow horse for the Orioles last season. And Casey added lefty reliever Roldis Chapman, who will try to jumpstart his career. Breakout star. Vinny Pascantino showed his potential impact in 258 plate appearances last season, hitting 10 homers and posting a 383 on base percentage. He has power and patience, the sort of high-end offensive skills that the Royals can build around. The X Factor. The KC pitchers led the majors in walks last year, but they do have pitching talent in the organization, with Brady Singer developing into a star at the front of the rotation. The Royals need Chris Bubich and Daniel Lynch and other young starters to progress. And if they can do that, then Kansas City could be better than expected. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. The Royals get a big 64 wins from Hembo. Pakota says 64. Sarah Lang, 65. But I think with Bobby Wood Jr., Pascantino, and Singer, they're better than they were last year. I've got Casey down for 70 wins. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, Happy opening day. I, you know, as, as you came on the screen, I see you've got the Cincinnati Reds hats, which is just perfect. Yes, Cincinnati Buster being the traditional place where opening day has taken place, but it's a different era. We've got bases the size of pizza boxes, as many have said. And anyway, the best day of the year for us baseball fans. And it is a perfect day because we're going to uh, focus on Cincinnati on our Forgotten Field segment this week. Before we get to that, I want to ask you, I, 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 as I woke up this morning and I was excited about opening day, part of it is this new packaging. It feels like a whole new product to me today and see what that looks like. You know, the strategy the teams might uh, deploy that they've been holding back during spring training on stealing bases, uh, you know, maybe defensive shifts, moving the outfielder into that hole uh, between first and second base, uh, standing in the outfield, you know, how pitchers might weaponize the pitch clock. Uh, and the speed at which the game's going to be played. You know, it's scheduled tonight to start 6 o'clock Central Time here, White Sox, Astros. And I'm like, oh, my God, I could be walking back to my hotel room by 845, which is just a shocker. Yeah. I mean, Buster, I literally 10 minutes ago, just gulping down a cup of coffee, getting ready for this, read something about the fact that 
East Coast games this summer may well be ending at 9.20 p.m., which is just startling. But you're right. All of these changes, um, I think, are going to be exciting. I think it's good for the game. Just move things along quicker. Um, you know, strategy that we have not seen in quite some time. The speed of the game um, is probably going to resemble something out of the 1980s or 70s, which is really kind of cool. And I will say that MLB has gotten ahead of all of these changes via their social channels in very engaging ways, selling these changes to fans, not shoving it down their throats. I think they've been really smart about it. Well, and I think you and I would share this sentiment too. Anybody who starts a tweet with real fans don't like these changes or real fans like these changes, I'm like, no, there's a lot more nuance than that. There are a lot of longtime baseball fans who love these changes, and I will include Joey Votto in that, good <laughs> Theo yeah. Epstein, you know, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, guys who made their living in this sport, uh, as well as other fans who go to the ballpark, and they're excited uh, along the lines of what Joey Votto was talking about a, a couple of weeks ago, where he was like, I, I as a Raptors fan, this is Joey, para, I'm paraphrasing him, uh, I, as a Raptors fan, like to go to the ballpark knowing that I'm going to be done within a, a you know, reasonable time, a predictable time. So anybody who claims to speak for all fans, I'm not buying it. No, no. And again, let's face it, Buster, this is you and I, the demographic that we have achieved, having lived all these years talking about these changes. We are not wagging our fingers and say, get off my lawn. I want no more Garcia para batting glove you know, adjustments ad infinitum. No, let's move this game along. And I'm thinking in particular about the kids, the six-year-old fans of the world who are going to be us a long time from now, but they're going to have purchasing power before you know it. Um, and uh, they represent the future of the fans. And uh, we've got to we've got to adjust the game to the world that we live in. And the world moves at a very rapid clip. Yeah, I told uh, you know, in the last four years, I've said over and over and over on this podcast that when you talk to front office people privately, people who designed a lot of the defensive shifts and the strategy with the bullpens, which slowed down the game privately, they were saying this product stinks. And, yeah. and so they were on one hand, we look, we're doing these things because we think it gives us the best chance to win. But on the other hand, we don't like the Frankenstein monster that we've created out here. All right, let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. Well, so Buster, the Cincinnati Reds played baseball at the corner of Finley Street and Western Avenue from 1884 until June 24th, 1970, when Crosley Field closed its gates for the last time. In between those dates, the ballpark hosted four different World Series and two All-Star games, the National League's first night game, and a slew of superstars and memorable contests. Crosley, Fenway Park, and Tiger Stadium all opened within a week of each other in April 1912, so it sits square, squarely in what we call the jewel box category of stadiums. An overflow crowd of 26,336 fans attended the first game, and temporary ground rules were put into effect, which resulted in seven triples being hit, Buster. <laughs> the home team beat the Chicago Cubs 10 to 6, and everyone went home happy. Maybe we could see seven triples in a game today. Who knows? Crosley Field was called Redland Field from its inception right up until the time that Powell Crosley Jr. purchased the Reds in 1934. Consistently among the smallest parks in the majors, the red brick Crosley was intimate 
It blended into its surrounding neighborhood with ease. Its most defining characteristic was undoubtedly the 15-degree incline in left center field, which was officially called the Terrace. Reds mainstay Frank Robinson recalled the fact that an outfielder couldn't simply run up the hill. He needed to climb it to catch a ball. Babe Ruth, playing out the string for the Boston Braves in 1935, stumbled and fell trying to catch a fly ball there, falling flat on his face, and he retired a couple of days later. Crosley's right field bleachers were the only section of the park that was completely exposed to the sun, and a sign that read Sun Deck was painted on the rear wall. In the 1930s, Crosley was called the most colorful park in the majors. The Chicago Tribune noted, apparently there isn't enough green paint in Cincinnati to give the layout conventional coats. So the place is ablaze with yellows, reds, and a blend of two that comes out orange. Crosley was infamous for the floods that occasionally inundated the place, with the most epic one coming in January 1937. The nearby Ohio River overflowed its banks, submerging the ballpark beneath 21 feet of water. By the 1950s, the neighborhood around Crosley, dominated by warehouses and factories, began to decline. Parking was an issue. And when the Dodgers and Giants left New York in 1958, Powell Crosley began to look at New York as a potential new home for his club. When asked if the Reds would be playing in Cincinnati in 1958, Crosley said, I can't answer, adding, we are under no obligation to stay here. We talked about this last summer, Buster. Talk swirled of a new Cincinnati ballpark with various sites and funding plans discussed. Meanwhile, MLB owners agreed to a rule that allowed cities of greater than 2 million or more to host more than one club, provided that their stadiums were more than five miles apart, which meant that the Reds would have moved to Brooklyn's Ebbets Field until a new stadium could be constructed. The city of New York stepped up in July 1958, offering to build a 52,000-seat stadium in Queens for a National League club. This would eventually become Shea Stadium. By May 1960, the Yankees indicated that they'd be willing to share Yankee Stadium with an NL team on a permanent basis. In the end, however, Crosley got what he wanted. The, the city of Cincinnati and Hamilton County agreed to fork over $2 million to purchase property that would be converted into 2,600 new parking spaces, and the Reds agreed to remain in Cincinnati for at least five more years. Powell passed away in March 1961. The Reds won the National League pennant, and the club was sold to a group fronted by Bill DeWitt for $4,625,000. The National League decided to expand, giving birth to the New York Mets in 1962, and Cincinnati kept its team and got a new ballpark in 1970, Riverfront Stadium. Crosley Field's final game took place on June 24, 1970. Johnny Bench and Lee May homered to defeat the San Francisco Giants 5-4, thus closing out nearly nine decades at the corner of Finley and Western. The old park was used as a vehicle impound lot for two years before it was demolished in the summer of 1972. Today, the Phillips Supply Company is located atop Johnny, where Johnny Bench hit homers and where the corrupt 1919 World Series took place. Go there and dream of Cincinnati's Crosley Field, the traditional site of baseball's opening day. It's this week's Forgotten Field. So uh, I'm thinking that the maybe the most famous, well, the first night game, right? Crosley Field, right. but also Johnny Vandermeer's no hitters going back to yeah. back. If you were to pick your favorite moment from the history of that ballpark, what uh, what would it be? 
Wow. I mean, it would have been pretty fascinating to be in a couple of those games of the 1919 World Series buster, right? I oh, mean, man, you know, you've right. got World Series wins, but, you know, talk about baseball history. Boy, um, the, boy, the White Sox are not playing well. What is the deal? <laughs> yeah, they really, yeah, exactly. They look you know? flat. But, <laughs> can you imagine but uh, again a story of a ballpark that's neighborhood started to decline in the 50s and 60s this we're going to keep going through this with these original ballparks uh with a couple of rare exceptions and crosley field was not spared exactly all right let's get to this week's quiz all right it's opening day so here's this week's question which one of these people did not throw out a ceremonial first pitch on opening day in 2022 was it a tom hanks was it b ichiro suzuki was it c russell wilson or was it d candace parker one of these people did not throw out an opening day first pitch last season tom hanks ichiro russell wilson or candace parker uh taylor since you won last week you have to answer first I love that you're bringing the star power to the quiz here, Todd. Uh, I'm going to go I'm between Tom Hanks and Candace Parker. I will go Candace Parker. Sarah? I'm also going Candace Parker. Oh, boy. You guys are putting me in a bad spot. <laughs> but I have an opportunity to gain here. I'm going to go Tom Hanks. Well, you are all incorrect. Tom Hanks threw out the first pitch in Cleveland last season. Oh, Ichiro yes. Suzuki threw out. It's Candace Parker. Candace Parker did not throw out a first pitch last year. So Taylor and Sarah, congratulations. You have started the start of the regular season on fire here. All right. Uh, you know what? Erase this version <laughs> of the podcast. Just send it away. Okay. We, we just ran out of time, Todd. It's opening day and I got to get to work. All right. <laughs> Happy opening day, everybody. You too, Todd. You hear that, Buster? I do. The symphony of spring right there. I went on a walk at the uh, in the West Hartford Reservoir the other day. You know, we have people send us bird sounds sometimes, but that was uh, a whole, I mean, frogs, birds, uh, all sorts of animals waking up for the spring. So that's how you know it's here other than opening day. Um, let's talk some tweets here, though. Have you heard? No, 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 no. Before we get into that, yeah. I just want to talk about the rant that you went on yesterday. Oh, yeah, okay? yeah, sure. Uh, we, we got this tweet from Tom Kachoris. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Tom Kachoris sent a, a note saying, uh, Taylor Schwink has taken a sharp turn off of Bitter Boulevard and pulled <laughs> onto Anger Avenue after your rant yesterday. Sarah, did you happen to catch that rant that he had complaining about they the Orioles did. and Grayson Rodriguez, the minor leagues? I, oh, I did. It was quite something, but you know, it's a safe space for Taylor to be able to get his emotions out and be able to talk through things. So and to walk through that, nature and hear yes, the birds you know. and, and try to get calm. That's what that was about. That had nothing to do with like the, the calm of spring that had everything to do with you trying to settle your heart rate, Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, well, I need to actually say that I, I'm taking a step back here. I'm, I'm leaving my anger behind. I'm excited. It's a new season, uh, you know, until Michael Elias says something obnoxious again, or John Angelos, who, you know, still hasn't opened up the books, uh, you know, for the organization, like he promised. So, uh, but for now I am excited. I am uh, happy. I am content. And, uh, you know, we will press on. Uh, my wife is still scared and, and nervous about that whole thing. She watched it. I sent her the, the video and she really didn't, she wasn't like, normally she's like very positive and like, uh, encouraging with my career, but she was like, I think still a little bit nervous after, after seeing that side of me. 
See, I would sooner believe you, a, a New Year's resolution from you saying you're never going to drink a drop of alcohol before <laughs> that uh, you, you saying that you're going to set aside your Orioles anger. At least for today, that I'm I'm just trying just for today, one day at a time, Buster. That's that's what you get. That's how you gotta go through life, you know. Oh man! All right, <laughs> all right. Well, we gotta. Uh, you know, we were. I was put the the rundown together last night. We were late on tweets, so I'm gonna. Can I throw a couple curveballs at you while we have a sure. minute here? Uh, Matt Hempner, Matt the Stud, writes in Clements on the pod earlier last week had me thinking: Will we ever see a pitcher win seven Cy Young awards again? Major League Baseball is flooded with much more great pitching depth compared to this era, or did Clements ride the traditional counting stats wave? Yeah, I, I think that's true. Uh, I just think the way that these guys, uh, you know, the team structure, their pitching staffs are so different that uh, the opportunity for individual accomplishment is diminished uh, year by year. I looked this up the other day. I think getting ready for TV uh, in 2010, there were 45 pitchers who threw 200 or more innings. That's just 12 years ago, 13 years ago. You know how many there were last year? Mm -hmm. 45 in 2010, 200 or more innings. Last year, eight. Oof. Yeah, yeah, it's completely different context. That's why I don't think we're ever going to see anybody come close to what Roger did. Andrew Sanford at Sanford minus sun writes and Hey Buster, I love my Rangers, but need to think about someone, something other than Jacob deGrom. What's your wildest prediction for the Rangers this season? That isn't deGrom related Corey Seager, MVP, uh, Josh young rookie of the year. What do you think? So, and I still, I'm stealing this from Hembo actually early in the off season. He mentioned that he thinks Corey Seager is going to benefit more than any other player from the rules against defensive shifts and their numbers behind that. Uh, last year, he gave he lost 26 hits to defensive shifts. He, he batted 245. If there had been no defensive shifts, uh, and those numbers would have been, were accurate, he would have batted 288 with 33 home runs. He's going to be in the MVP race this year. I'm not picking him one, not picking him two or three, but I think he's going to finish fourth or fifth. I like it. Sean Sullivan at For You Kevin writes in long season, but has there ever been an opening day performance that made you immediately rethink your preseason predictions for a team? Feels like Major League Baseball's attempt to emphasize contact and speed might elevate a mid 2010s Royals team kind of team real quick out of the gate. Yeah, of course, which is why tomorrow's show, we already can name it, Taylor. Overreaction Friday. Ooh, okay. I love the it. day after the day after the first game, you always uh, you know look at that small sample size and try to draw a lot of meanings out of it. And that all said, I am really curious now that we have games that count to see what strategies are going to be unveiled by these teams in terms of stealing bases, that sort of thing. Because I do think that all of these teams have held back that ammunition. You know, we heard about. Uh, so, so nobody could see it until the start of the season. I was in Mets camp, and Buck Showalter, they kicked all the writers out off the field and out of sight of the field because the word from the PR staff was, we have proprietary information that we're going to share with the players, and you guys aren't allowed to see it. And I think it was related to base stealing. So I'm really curious. All right. Blue Domer Dave at Blue Domer Dave writes in Buster as spring training ends. Give us a peek behind the curtain on preseason win projections. Do you guys add up all the numbers to make sure you get – 2,430 games, and do you adjust projections you announce as injuries happen? I'm positive that Sarah and Hembo do that, but I feel like it's kind of more of like a feel thing. What, what's your process? Well, Hembo turned in all his win projections in mid-February, <laughs> and we actually had a conversation about that, about make sure your numbers add up. Uh, Sarah was, I think, adjusting her numbers as she went along, and so did I. 
So I, I don't think my numbers added up. I initially intended to, but then I'm like, you know what? If, if we're doing two team uh, previews during the course of spring training and information emerges during the spring, how do you, how do you just uh, ignore that? Mm-hmm. You know, the Yankees rotation is different than what we thought. So we have the, the wind projection today, and that reflects that as opposed to maybe the 101 or 102 that I would have started with. And then Bakota's like 88.7. So uh, obviously, the, I mean, maybe, maybe those add up. I don't know. That would be weird if they yeah. did. Yeah, Hembo was the one, one of us who I think all his numbers add up because he did it in mid-February and just stuck with it. <sighs> that, that guy, tell you what. All right, that's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We'll be back tomorrow. Buster will be on the Ravi train with Ravi. That's very exciting for Overreaction Friday. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for listening today. My uh, thanks to Hembo to Todd Radom, to Eduardo Perez, to Taylor. Taylor. Uh, Have a great day, everybody. Enjoy opening day. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.